Good morning, everyone. It's great to see all of you. I have no idea what's going on with Charleston weather today. I do know that it's like we had 80 to 83 degrees two days ago. We're supposed to have 39 degrees tonight. Um, I have no idea what is going on. But I do have some really good ideas about what God's doing and what he's doing in our lives. So it's great to see every one of you and looking forward to seeing you on Christmas Eve. We have three services. You'll find out more about that. But we've been talking the last couple of weeks about this concept of behold. And it's, I'm just so amazed about how smart God is, that he can take a single word and he can begin to make it just you know, so much bigger than what we normally look at when we look at a word. And then we've been learning about Behold is more than just seeing something, because I would just say, hey, did you see the game last night? Hey, did you see the Patriots get waxed by the Indianapolis Colts? Hey, did you see it? That's a see kind of moment. That is where you observe something. But when the scripture over 1,200 times uses the word behold, that is big. I mean, you just feel a behold. Somebody walks into your room and says, behold, you know that there's something preloaded with meaning behind it. They want you to get something that's being communicated. Behold is a presentation from God we're finding in scripture with intention that there's a lot of things that go on in the Bible. I mean, there's a lot of beautiful stories, a lot of good insights, a lot of good there's some precepts and law and commandments and all that. And, uh, it, but it, it seems to be the behold that happens where God brings meaning to all the other stuff that we could get caught up in. If you've ever tried to read through the Bible in a year, good luck with that. I'm not even sure God ever calls anybody to do that. But if he did, I hope you enjoyed yourself. But that, I mean, there's nothing like in the middle of like February, you're reading through the book of Numbers and Leviticus and you're just wanting your life to end, you know? And you wonder, what's like, well, is that the Bible? Absolutely, it's the Bible. Is it inspired by God? Yes, it is. But sometimes we can get into the whole Christian thing and we drift away from the behold and we forget what it's about. And so that's what we're learning. It's going back to the Christmas story. It's like in the middle of this season, it's easy for us to drift away. Yeah, we're doing Christ-like things. You know, I have, a, I have a Jesus scene in my front yard and we're being nice to other people and, and, you know, we're trying to pull that off for about, you know, maybe a week longer. But the further we get away from the actual behold moment, it seems like it begins to break down. And so the Christmas story is just loaded with it. Behold talks to the soul. It, it prompts a response when somebody says, hey, behold, and and there's a catalyst for change built into it. And so the Christmas story is loaded with these beholds. And I think we've talked about three of them so far. Just remember this, that it is an invitational moment established by God. And it is a, a time when we respond to God in that moment. So as we're looking today, as we're going through the scriptures today, don't let it just be, you know, um, you know, that was a good sermon, or I heard this story before. Because I'm going to read a story that you probably have heard before. I'm going to use a verse that you've probably heard a thousand times before. And it will be easy for you to just kind of click it off as seen it, been there, done that type of situation in a church. But allow it to be a behold. Allow God to go deeper, to present something to you that is really you know, a catalyst for change. 
So there's things in the Behold story that get noticed, and we, everybody notices them. There's that celestial body, the star that moves into place after 100 years of foretelling. That, that's kind of part of the Behold. There's this young virgin woman having a baby. That's definitely part of the Behold. Then there are events that are prophesied in advance, you know, about the killing of all the young boys under the age of two and, and all, some of the other things that go on. My son shall be called out of Egypt, so that it were prophesied in advance. Those are kind of part of the behold moment. Then there's the arrival of the mysterious magi. We don't know much about, but they all of a sudden show up. And then once you add in the visitation of angels, the shepherds showing up, the behold really begins to take shape. And we all pretty much like get into it at that point. But I want to discover what is at the heart of the behold. Because here's the thing. I will probably never stand in a field in Bethlehem at night and just look up at the sky. It's, it's probably an experience I'm not going to have. I probably will never see the exact star that came to rest in Bethlehem over the manger. I, I, I probably won't see that. So I don't know, maybe. Maybe we saw it last year. I stared up at the sky and looked at you know, Jupiter and Venus and all of them lining up, and I think I even presented some uh, uh, you know, astronomy about how all these planets all lined up together, and it kind of like that could have been the star. And, but I'm, I have to be honest with you, I'm not really sure. I, I just wanted to show that there was maybe a scientific explanation for, for this. Um, I will probably never behold a supernatural virgin birth of a child. There's a good chance that I will not experience that. And the reason why I'm saying all these things is that if these are the core elements of the story, you and I are not really as close to the behold as we may think we are because I may not experience those particular events taking place. I will probably never own a lot of gold. I, can, I know that for sure. Frankincense, wouldn't even know what to do with it, or myrrh. Now, I've been, had some great preachers that will break down and do a teaching about the symbolism of myrrh and the symbolism of frankincense and, and the gold and why these were presented, and that's a, probably a good sermon. But you know what, I, you know, if you, if you can't cook a hog with, with frankincense or myrrh, I'll probably never use it, okay? I'm just, just saying, it's probably not something that I'll make contact with. See, the behold must be something else. I mean, the real behold, I'm talking about the one that transforms people's lives. The myrrh and frankincense, that's not a, a transforming reality for me. It's true, it's real, it's in the story, I'm invited into that story, but that can't be what it is. There must be something that was included in the story that was real and true for them, and that is today real and true for me when I look up and I see a northern hemisphere sky, when I live in Charleston, South Carolina, and it's 83 degrees on Christmas. There must be something that was super real for them in the behold that is still super real for me today and that I can experience today. So when I, I, I was thinking about it, I was, I was looking at the story and I was looking at the events and, and I was looking at 
was looking for one event, one, one statement that is, that is experientially, and maybe that's the right word, experientially as real for me today as that was for them. You know, because the star, I grab a hold of that by faith based upon the historical reliability of this document that that event with the star really occurred and, and some of the other events and the mathematical improbability of all the prophecies coming together on one man, all that, I have to do all that work. They didn't have to do that work. They just looked up and saw, ha, that's a heck of a thing. And all of a sudden, three guys show up or how many of they are and they got their, you know, all of a sudden they go and discover this baby that was born in a manger as the, star, as the, as the angel had described. So I, I hold to that as true and historical, but yet experientially, what do I hold on to? What, what do I experience today? So I, I looked, and it came to me out of Matthew chapter uh, 1, verse 21, and it was this one statement that you've heard a thousand times before, but it, it all of a sudden became so powerful. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they should, shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. They should call his name Emmanuel. And so I, I, I kind of stopped there this week and I was looking at that. And I didn't know if anybody, if there's anything, any rub with a Bible story, I will find it. Okay? Uh, um, maybe because I have a weak faith or a faith that constantly needs stirring up. So the first thing that, and, and it's okay, I'm going to heaven just as with the rest of you folks, okay? So, but it's just the way that my brain works and I, I like to know what goes on. Well, it's interesting, it's like, okay, so let me get this straight. What are we gonna call this kid? Because you just gave me two names. You shall call his name Jesus. It's like, okay, great, well, let's baptize him Jesus, you know? Then it like, goes two lines later, it's like, wait a minute, and this shall fulfill and you shall call his name Emmanuel. Has anybody else ever wondered, like, wait a minute, what are we going to call him here? I mean, it's like, and then my thought is, wow, that's a mess up. That's a mistake. That's got, it's like, well, wait a minute, how is, how is Matthew messing that up while he's writing it, and he does it all, and he hasn't even lifted his pen yet from the same sentence? So Matthew obviously is not making a mistake here. It's obvious, but Matthew's thinking differently. Okay, and he understands what's going on in the story maybe more than we do. So I was, I was like, well, wait a minute, so is it Jesus or Emmanuel? What should I? Isn't that kind of the problem some of us have? Do I pray to the Father? Do I pray to, the, to Jesus? Do I pray to the Holy Spirit? What is this whole idea of this Trinity concept? You know, we, we kind of get caught in the middle. How do I talk to God? And so I looked at this and I just, you know, asked God, just kind of give me some insight here. Which, which is it? Is it Emmanuel or is it Jesus? So I realize that they're both kind of the same, but they're not. Jesus means he saves his people, and in the context, he saves his people from sin. It's a description of what the action that God is accomplishing in Jesus, through Jesus. Jesus saves, you know? But, but Emmanuel is different. 
Emmanuel is kind of like a title, but yet it's still a name. It seems to be this overarching description of, of the presence of God in our lives. It's like an overarching thing, this concept of God. Jesus saves, okay, that's, that's what Jesus does. But then there's Emmanuel, God with you. And I was like, well, wait a minute, there is something that I can have that they had, though I don't get the star and I don't get the magi, what is the big takeaway that they take away that I take away? And it's like, maybe it's this concept of Emmanuel. See, this is an example of what's called an inclusio literary device. It expresses um, in different ways thoughts about an idea, a greater idea, using different words and different names in different concepts. Um, for instance, if I tell you I'm from Boston, well, the inclusio would be that if I told you I'm a Patriots fan, I'm a Celtics fan, I'm a Bruins fan, I'm a Red Sox fan, if I started using some of these subtitle descriptions of myself, you would begin to put them together and you would discover the overarching thing. Oh, you've got to be from Boston. You would figure that out. Or in, in my case, if you say you're from Boston and I come up to you and I say, wow, you're a Patriots fan, huh? And you say, no, I would say, you, you sir, you sir are not from Boston. You know, it's because the overarching idea includes these subtitles. And there's, it seems that this concept of Emmanuel, God with us, is the overarching idea that God wants every one of us to have. He wanted the, the shepherds in Bethlehem to have it. He wanted the Magi to have it. He wanted Mary and Joseph to have it. He wanted the people of their time to have it, that this concept of God with you was, is, is, includes everything. If you say you love Disney World, then I know if you tell me you love Disney World, do we have any lo Disney World lovers here? Come on, yeah, anybody? If you've spent half of your income to go to Disney World, you are a Disney World lover. Okay, there, the, the hands are going up now. Um, well, that means I can guarantee that Magic Kingdom, Epcot, Hollywood Studios, or Animal Kingdom is one of the favorite places you like to be because it's included in the idea of Disney World, that those places were, are, are part of that story. Here's another example of where this literary device called inclusio is used. Jesus in Mark chapter 11 is, is um, coming into Jerusalem. And when he's coming in, um, he sees a fig tree. Kind of a random story. It's one of those ones that just kind of scratch your head and it's like, why is that in the Bible? But he's coming in and he sees a fig tree and the fig tree isn't blooming. So Jesus curses it. On the way out, of, of Jerusalem, the tree is dead, okay? And you're kind of like, well, that was a heck of a thing. It's an interesting story. But it's interesting what comes right after that story. Jesus goes into Jerusalem, and he overturns the tables in the temple, okay? So he, he acts aggressively against what's going on inside this, the temple, which is supposed to be the house of God. See, what Mark did, Mark wasn't exactly really too concerned about the order of the stories. He wanted us to get the meaning of the stories. The stories are real. 
through history. But Mark, Luke is more concerned about order. Mark is more about like you getting the overarching idea. And so what he does, he tells the story of the fig tree, and then he tells the story of the, which really happened, the, fig, the story of the, the temple thing, he puts them together. So that you and I would walk out that God is going to judge that which does not bear fruit or live wholly before his, his plan and, and meaning and, and that God has an intention for everything. And that would be the overarching idea. So in the Christmas story, we have, we have the child, we have Jesus being born. We hear uh, different titles that are being used in the story. They're all part of an overarching idea. And what God wants you to walk out of here today with is that God is with you. Whether you ever find the star in the sky or an explanation on how it got there, whether you ever meet some ambassador from a foreign country or not, that there is something in this story that is very much as real today as it was for the Magi and for the shepherds. So through the Declaration of Emmanuel, there are things that are included, inclusio, in this behold story. So I'm like, okay, so where would that be? So let me read to you Isaiah 9. You always hear this verse at Christmas time, but it's unpacking this, this word Emmanuel, this title Emmanuel. For unto us will be born to us, a son will be given to us, the government will rest on his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor. It's like, where did that come from? Wonderful Counselor. We didn't really hear that title before, but that's, it's, it's like, wow, that's included in the Emmanuel. Mighty God, included in the Emmanuel. Eternal Father, which is really interesting because we're being told that the child is going to be called this. Prince of Peace, and that there will be no end to the increase of his government or his peace. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. See, this is an unpacking of the impact of Emmanuel. This is where I discover what is it from the Christmas story that I'm supposed to be taking home to my wife, to my children, to my grandchildren. What I'm supposed to be taking in when I interact with other people. What is it? If it's not the Christmas star... What is it that I'm supposed to take home? And so Isaiah unpacks the concept of Emmanuel for us. And we'll just take a quick look at what that unpacking is for us. He refers to Jesus, he refers to Emmanuel, who is Jesus, as wonderful counselor. What an incredible thing that I can experience today. Wisdom and insight to live life the way that God intended See, Jesus demonstrates all throughout his life various ways that he is absolutely wonderful. From his birth, from the conception of his life, all of that through his, his death and resurrection, he's communicating this wonder that God wants to do into our lives. Matter of fact, in Mark 1, we are told, and they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. 
Even Jesus' communication to them was wonderful. It was different. It was something that was beholdish. It challenged them in a way that they were never challenged before. It spoke to their soul the way that people who just read the Bible, you know, and just quoted the Bible, decontextualized from the behold of God, God with you, just didn't communicate right. I think we've experienced a lot of this in the Bible Belt. You know, I also know that we experience this a lot in churches where what's your standard on this, Pastor? What's your standard on that, Pastor? It's like, wow, we're going there? I mean, it's like, really? You want to just kind of redux me down like a, like a sauce on the, on the stove? You want to just kind of boil it down to what is, what is it that we believe? It's like, well, wait a minute. If we, the further we get away from the behold, Emmanuel, God with us, none of this is going to look good. I mean, really, none of it's going to look good if we get too far away from the behold of God. And so they experienced this wonder of teaching in Christ, his perfect life. I love what Hebrews 4 says in describing Jesus in verse 15. says, for we do not have a high priest, another title that is given to Jesus. We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. It's like, wow. It's like, man, that's incredible. He knows how I feel. Oh, absolutely. But he also shows us a way to live beyond how we feel. Absolutely. He, know, he, can, he leads us to a place of reconciliation after our mess-ups. Absolutely. All of that is part of this Emmanuel concept. His resurrection from the dead. Then there was Jesus teaching wonderful things that were counterintuitive to the human mind. But daggum it, they don't work, okay? I mean, I know turning the other cheek doesn't, is, is totally counterintuitive. But if you've had a turning of the other cheek kind of experience with a person, if you offered that divine gift to another person, you probably saw the relationship or the results of the relationship or the residual effect of the relationship happen so different than the other just punch them back in the face kind of response. Jesus taught, blessed are those who, are, who mourn. Rejoice and be glad in persecution. Love your enemies and do good to those who hate you. And I tell you, it's, it's so counterintuitive. And when you begin to deploy, it's like, man, if that doesn't work, when I begin to forgive those who have done wrong to me, it just changes things. Jesus is kind of wonderful, was inspiring and superior to any other kind of wonderful. It was per perfect in every way. He's able to advise us thoroughly because he is qualified like no other counselor. See, if you came to me for counseling right today and said, listen, Pastor Paul, uh, I need a counselor. I would ask you, okay, what do you need counseling on? Well, my marriage. Well, then I would probably go to the category of marriage counselor for you. Well, I have an addiction. Oh, okay, I've got a great addiction. Oh, uh, a sexual crime victim. Okay, I have a, a counselor for you. But the great thing about Jesus is that he is thoroughly qualified for the whole human experience. Through the power of the Holy Spirit to speak into our life, through the word of God, through his spirit, and, and, and into our soul. In Christ, we are told, and I, I love what Paul says, are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. 
including, according to Psalm 139, the, the knowledge of human nature. It's like, wow. So that's what we're doing here, Sunday, whatever today's date is. I, my Apple Watch doesn't tell me the date. I need an upgrade. You know, it's, it's, a, it's like, what, is that what we're doing? Is that who we're meeting here today? We're not here because we've got really cool trees and this and, and, and nice graphics and all that. It's like we're here because uh, the thorough... Uh, um, the wonderful counselor of God is here in this place? Absolutely. For every single one of us. Then he's called mighty God. A God with might to bring about his best in your life. That's who our Jesus is. Mighty God. See, our God in our relationship with him is not some impotent, religious system or observance. It's not like, you know, we just believe in something and all beliefs are equal. No, let me just say, any belief that Jesus Christ is not God with us, mighty God, wonderful counselor, is, is not Christianity. The fact that he's just like a a good guy who led a good example, a good moral teacher. It's like, sorry, that, that's not how the scripture presents him. Jesus, he is presented as God to us. I don't know how all that works out, but that, I don't know how my cell phone works either, but I put it up to my ear and my mouth every single day. Matter of fact, I just got a report that my amount of screen time diminished by you know 18% over the last two weeks, so I'm down to only two hours a day. I'm still shocked every time I look at that. And it's like, I look at this thing for two hours every single day? But just because I don't understand all that and how it works doesn't mean it nullifies the concept. I don't understand quantum physics either, but we know that that's in play. Mighty God. Listen to how Paul describes this Jesus. This baby Jesus that the shepherds went to will probably never see him as a baby. Okay, that's probably not an experience that we're going to get. And I'm gonna tell you that's gonna be okay because here's what Paul says is the takeaway because Paul never talks about baby Jesus. Paul never talks about Christmas. In all of his epistles, he never tells the Christmas story. Um, so he gets us right to the Emmanuel story. Listen to how he describes Jesus. In Colossians chapter 1, verse 15, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Okay? See, you can take that home with you today. You can't take the Christmas star home with you. You can't take baby Jesus home with you. You can't take the Magi home with you. But you can take Jesus, Emmanuel, High Priest, Savior, 
Lord, home with you today. The overarching implication of the behold of Christmas is God with you. So if you came in here today and you were anxious, um, putting a star in your front yard ain't going to cure your anxiety. You know, putting up Christmas lights is not going to fix anything in your life, though it's fun, and I have done it to excess. But whether you're single or married, divorced, abandoned, victim, or culprit, there is one thing we get to take home from the Christmas story is Emmanuel, God with us. In that verse out of Isaiah, he's referred to as eternal father. Now, I just kind of like just stared at that for a little while. I was like, wait a minute, okay? And, and it's like, what's, what's up with that? And, and my takeaway from it was this, probably a little bit less more about the technicality of how Father, Son, Holy Spirit are all working together and, and three persons, one being, I don't understand all that, but it seems to be presented in Scripture. But I, liked, I focus on the idea that he's an eternal father. See, some of you know what it's like to get kicked out of your house by your father. Some of you know what it's like to be rejected by a father. Some of you here know what it's like not to even know a father. But Jesus, in the concept of Emmanuel, brings to us a household that you'll never get kicked out of when you enter into it in relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And, and, and to me, that is... That's, that's just amazing. Because me and my dad didn't get along. I remember having that talk after I got kicked out of college the second time. I remember him saying, this is not working. And I'm like, okay, Pop. He's like, you need to go. And I remember, okay, I need to go. You know, you can only fight with your father on the living room floor so many times before it's time for you to go. And I remember my dad kicking me out of the house and it was time for me to join the military. And off I went. But I love this concept so much because it's eternal father. It's this idea that belonging emanates from the father, not from your performance. See, religion tells us that as long as you perform, you get to stay in the house. My dad had a rule, and I love my dad. He's in heaven. He, was, he finished up great, awesome guy. But my dad, every single, every dollar you made, 10 cents of every dollar had to go to the household. Now, some of you are like, well, that's the way it should be. Well, you know, when you're 13, you're delivering paper in, newspapers in the snow in Boston, and you know that 10 cents of every dollar is going to your old man. You know, it's like, it didn't create a great work ethic inside of me. You know what I'm saying? Um, but the interesting thing is that he is called eternal father. It means that belonging emanates from God, not from your performance. So that when you have a bad day, you don't have to go home and wonder whether or not God has rejected you, that God has kicked you out of the house. See, John 1 said it this way. But to all who receive him, he gave, he, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God who were born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh or religion, nor of the will of men, but of God. You see, our belonging with God emanates 
from the eternal Father. I, I mess up every single day. I mess up not only the way that I treat other people, but maybe even how I present God to other people. Okay, so I already know that I mess up. But one thing I do so well is I believe in the concept of the eternal Father, meaning that my belonging is not dependent on how I perform, but it comes to me through the work of Christ. And it emanates from this eternal Father. So if you're here today and you've got rejected by your Father, you get, it just didn't work out for you in your household, just know this, that Emmanuel, you can take that home with you. It means the eternal emanation of belonging to God through the second person of the Trinity, through the work of Jesus Christ. I know that was really long and technical, but I tell you what, it brings hope to my soul because I'm not going to get to see the star. Prince of Peace. All this is built into this one thing about Emmanuel. He's the Prince of Peace. He's the emissary of peace. He's kind of like the broker of peace if you're into real estate. He makes the, makes the deal between the buyer and the seller. Between God the Father and fallen man, he is the Prince of Peace. So I always wondered why he's not called the King of Priest, uh, of Peace. You know, I always kind of wondered that. Why is he called the Prince? Well, it was because the role of the Prince was to go as an emissary to, to represent the Father of the Kingdom to another Kingdom. It was kind of like this is my precious Son. This is the highest value I have. I am presenting him to you. And he's going to make a deal between us. And so he is the emissary of peace. He is the physical demonstration that we have peace with God and that there's peace with man. And it comes to us through this concept of Emmanuel. You can take that home with you today. You don't probably get to take home the shepherds. There will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. I love those two beautiful concepts. One is that there won't be an end to his rule or government. If you're concerned about QAnon, if you're concerned about the progressive left, if you're concerned about the state of America, if you're concerned about the Chinese, if you're concerned about inflation, if all that stuff has you worried, today you need to take home Emmanuel because there will be no end to his government. And he reigns today and is seated at the right hand of glory in heaven today as king and lord over the earth. It's like, okay, I can take that home. I need to take that home with me today. But that last phrase, the zeal of the Lord will accomplish this. That means this is that God is more passionate towards you than you are to yourself. The zeal of the Lord will accomplish this. I, my my uh, granddaughter said to me, she said, Papa, I finally figured out who Santa Claus was, is. And I said, who? And she said, it's you. And I'm like, why? Why, why do you think that? Well, I've watched you. You put up gazillion lights, you bought this hog that we're going to cook, you know, today, and we're going to have a big thing, and 
you got an RV and you're parked it next to the house and that's where some of the kids are going to stay so we can keep everybody. Yes, I said RV next to my house and Cousin Eddie is probably in it. Okay. Uh, yes, I, I'm beginning to realize the picture I'm describing. Um, got Christmas trees, spent hundreds of dollars, and it's terrible, on lights, inflatables, and all this other stuff. I have done an incredible amount of work, laid it all out. So it's funny, they, they all drove up, and they come in, and they're all, yeah, we're here for Christmas. And I'm like, two hours later, taking a nap in my bed, because I have spent the last four weeks preparing this moment. And it's like, Wow, just know this, is that every good and perfect gift comes from the Father above. The zeal of the Lord has accomplished it for you. He, his passion for you is greater than your passion for yourself. And he will accomplish it. He will cause all things to work together for good to those who are called according to his purpose, who are walking in relationship with him through Jesus Christ, Emmanuel. You can't take the frankincense and myrrh home today, but you can take Emmanuel home today. So as we enter into this last moment, this Emmanuel behold is prophesied before the child Jesus is born. This Emmanuel, behold, is presented in the life of Jesus. And this Emmanuel, behold, is promised to us by Jesus. He will never leave us. And maybe you've gotten to that place where maybe you've forgotten this. Maybe you focus a little bit too much on the star, though the star was real. The shepherds, though the shepherds were real. But they're less part of our story but very much part of the God story. Let me just tell you and close with this last interaction of Jesus with his disciples, because I think it'd be the same interaction that he would have for us. It was just about the time where he was visibly going to disappear from their ability to observe him. Maybe that's where we are. And we're told in Matthew 28, now the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. That's where I always fit into the story. They worshiped, they, and I worship, but some doubted. And it's like out of the 11, some are still doubting. Oh yeah. Yeah, some still wrestle with doubt. Don't put your hand up. But you know, how many of us thought we must be weird or different or unaccepted because we still doubt? Jesus meets with them on the mountain. He's already raised from the dead. He's already done a couple of the miracles to verify it. In the room, when Thomas, you know, all that conversation, and he appears and then disappears and, and all this other stuff, making them fish and all that. And it's like, there's still doubt. I love that. I'm, gl I'm glad that they wrote that in this story. And Jesus came and said to them, because some of them doubted, he said, all authority, you need to remember this. He's going to do the whole Emmanuel, what I just read out of Isaiah, he's going to do it all over again. He's, he says, all authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. 
You need to remember that when you go home today. You didn't come to Crosstown Church. Crosstown Church isn't amazing, um, wonderful, mighty God, Prince of Peace. No, you need to realize that what you get to take home from here today is Emmanuel. And Jesus says, remember, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Maybe you forgot that in the 21st century. He says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded. Don't give up the mission. Don't give up the passion. And then he ends it all this way. And I think every one of us need to hear it. He says, listen, behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Um, he reminds them of their, his authority. He reminds them of their calling. And he reminds them the last thing we're told was the first thing that we were told. Behold, get this. This is big. This is real. Emmanuel. This is the take home. I will never leave you nor forsake you. No matter what's going on in your country, no matter what's going on in your body, no matter what's going on in your marriage, no matter what's going on in the economy, what, no matter what's going on in your mind, your doubts, your questions. So today, you can take that home. That is so much better than a star, so much better than a bunch of smelly shepherds showing up at your house. I mean, eternal father, belonging, a government that will work all things together for good in your life. That's what we get with Jesus. And to as many as receive him, he gives them the power to become the children of God, to step into that. So fathers, we enter into this moment that you have orchestrated with shepherds, with the star, with the magi, you are making it no less real in this moment. The part that is so inclusio, that includes all of it, that includes first century Christians and 21st century Christians. The one thing that includes us all is that when we declare Jesus Christ, Lord and Savior of our lives, Emmanuel, God with us we receive wonderful counselor mighty God eternal father prince of peace and the governing of this world Lord God rests with you and all of this will be accomplished not because we are better people or we're perfect all of this is accomplished by the zeal and the passion of God. So today, his name is Jesus. He is Emmanuel, God with us. So as you come and receive the bread and the cup, no matter how many times you've done it before, when you grab it, it's a reminder 
Maybe it's even more than a reminder. Don't walk away with anything less than God is with me. Lo, even to the ends of the earth.